Mark Drake is on a mission to train leaders around the world about the miracle and mystery of Christ living his life in and through all who will believe. Join us on this journey into the heart of the real new covenant and the transforming power of true grace. The last few weeks, Pastor Josh has been talking about total forgiveness. We've been talking about the need to forgive, how the scripture lays out that if, if, if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to allow him to live in us, he is the head forgiver and he is living in us. So we must learn to forgive. And Josh did a great job of, uh, of uh, packing and loading the pack on, on one of our young men about bitterness and unforgiveness and then unloading all of that. And that requires that we get specific about people who have offended us or we have taken offense. People who have abused us, whether they want to be forgiven or not, we've been talking the last few weeks about we're the ones that have to get free by forgiving. We talked about the damage that it does when we do not forgive and how it injures us. And isn't it amazing that when somebody hurts you on purpose, we end up carrying around that hurt. They don't give us another thought. So it's not hurting them at all, but it does us. And so there's some real practical realities about why we need to learn to forgive we we need to understand that we can only forgive other people to the degree that we understand how much we've been forgiven so a couple of weeks ago i shared with you the entire message was based on new testament verses that all contained three simple words and all the verses that i shared with you said that christ has come and he has paid for our sins once, come on, for all. That he doesn't have to do it again every time you mess up. That once and for all, he paid for our sins. And when we live in that reality, that itself empowers us to forgive other people. And then last week, uh, Josh, he, 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 well, he hit a home run. Remember, he talked about the floodgate of mercy and what happens, what, what God will do when we make the choice to let other people go from our hard-heartedness or our bitterness or our pain. And it's very real. We don't want to ignore it, but we want to deal with it and allow God to heal us. And then to allow, as Josh said last week, to let the floodgates of mercy to open up and to flow out into other people's lives where God can move in you and through you, extending mercy to those who so desperately need it. In our walk with God, the whole idea is wherever there's life, there's supposed to be growth. The beauty of the new covenant is that Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, has come to live inside of us. He takes us as we are. But he doesn't leave us as we are. He takes us as we are. But then he begins this metamorphosis, this transformation, this changing from the life of Christ that's inside of us to overcome our own flesh life, our own carnality, our own lesser desires, but to allow his heart and his desire and his ability to grow within us so that we're able to do what 
we were not able to do before. After the first service this morning, a man came up to me and told me how it really set him free about something that had troubled him for many, many years. And I could readily identify what had troubled him for many years was Matthew 16, I believe it's verse 14, where at what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, if you forgive others, then your Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive you. Now, careful. Be careful. Because Jesus, Galatians 4 says, was born of a woman, born under the law. And Jesus' primary purpose in all of his teaching during that three and a half years of his earthly ministry was to show people that they had so perverted both the heart of God and the law of God that it didn't even hardly recognize God's original intent. You remember Jesus said things like, you have heard it said that Moses wrote, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you, if a man looks and entertains lust, he's already broken the commandment. Man, Jesus made that a lot higher. You've heard Moses say, thou shalt not commit murder. But I say to you, if you're angry with your, at your brother without a righteous cause, you've already broken the man. He raised that even higher. Now, why did he do it? Well, he did it. So that people would realize God's plan is to do in them what they cannot possibly do for themselves, no matter how much they want to. We can't live like that unless he lives in us and through us. If we were to isolate these words of Jesus, then what we would be saying is you earn your salvation by forgiving others. And yet we know that the whole of the New Testament teaches we can't earn our salvation by doing any good work. We do good works because we've been saved. So when we read those words, our response should be, apart from you, I can do nothing. Apart from you, I can do nothing. To not live in torment. Recently, there was a book written by a very popular author, and it was a big seller. And somebody sent it to me and said, hey, there's something in here that troubles me. Would you, would you read it and tell me what you think? And as I began to read it, it broke my heart. It was an allegory. It told about a half a dozen different people who had grown up in the Father's kingdom, in the Father's house, and then went out into the other broader world in this allegory. And one of them was a young lady. And in the process, she was attacked. She was raped. And then she struggled for years and with forgiving her rapist. And then she died in a car crash. And according to the author, she went to hell because she never truly forgave her rapist. I'm sorry, I can't recommend a book like that. I'll recommend the Bible where Jesus paid for our sins once and for all. And he who is the great forgiver is living inside of you and he wants to sanctify you and me. He wants to grow me up so that even in a despicable situation like that, we could forgive those who abuse us. But that takes the inward work of the Holy Spirit. And you don't earn salvation by being a good forgiver. But having the spirit of the great forgiver living in you, if you ask, he will empower you and me to be a better forgiver. But there is something even better than being a good forgiver. And that is to mature to the place 
where we're not so easily offended. Okay, everybody head be bowed, every eye closed, we're done. That is the message for today. See, God takes us like we are, but he doesn't leave us like we are. He wants to grow up the life of Christ inside of us. As Paul said to the Galatians, oh, that Christ would be formed in you again. That there is a growing of the nature of Christ inside of us. Now, when we talk about this issue of forgiveness, we have to deal with the word offense. And I find it very, very interesting that when Jesus says in Luke uh, chapter 17, it is inevitable that offenses will come. We need to just accept the fact that we live in a fallen world with fallen people and then us. Who, Though we are no longer fallen, we are far, far, far from WWJD. Right? So we're going to be offended, and we're going to offend others. We're going to offend others and not even know we did it. But if we understand the working of offense, not only will we be able to get forgiveness when we've offended someone or forgive them when they've forgiven us, but we can actually grow to where we're not so easily offended, where love causes us to think more about their good than our own good so we don't get hurt so easily. But to do that, we have to understand the nature of offense and how this works. Interestingly enough, the word that's used in the New Testament for the word offense is the Greek word scandalon. I'm not trying to impress you with my ability to pronounce a Greek word. But there's a reason, because the Greek word scandalon is where we get the word scandal or scandalized. And there's a working in being scandalized that if we understand it, we can ask God to strengthen us so that we do not fall prey to it. The word scandalon is actually referring or translated to be a trap or a snare that's been baited with something that the critter you're after really, really wants. Now, throughout all of mankind, there have been traps or snares made. This is an example of probably one of the early ones here. These these guys here, vegetarians. There you go. <laughs> but they've gotten a lot better than that. Look at this one. You'll recognize this one. This is a modern day trap. Now, this is a live trap. This is not really a good Alaskan trap because we want to kill it and eat it. But uh, but this is a this is a trap, and 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 this is this is what the word offense means in the New Testament. It is the trap and the bait that's put here. This is held up by a spring-loaded mechanism. The animal wants the bait, but he can't get through the little holes, so he comes through the big hole. And as he reaches over to grab the bait, the pressure thing clicks. The spring causes the trap to close, and now he's caught. Now we can get him out. But it would be better for him if he learned not to take the bait. You see, offense is all about taking the bait. And you and I can, in fact, grow in our sanctification in Christ so that we recognize the trap and choose not to take the bait. 
the more mature we grow in Christ, the less often we will choose to be offended. Which means that we'll be able to help other brothers and sisters in Christ go uh, grow quicker. Because we won't be adding to the obstacles that they have to overcome. But to learn how to not be easily offended, we have to recognize the traps. And we have to be able to identify the bait and decide the bait is not worth what it's going to cost me if I stick my head in there to get it. I, I, I tried to get you another illustration, but my computer messed up and I wasn't able to get it fixed. But it was, it was a picture of a monkey and he had his hand in a jar and the jar, I guess, was clear for influence effect. There was a banana in the jar, and he's got his hand in the jar, and he's, he's grabbed onto that banana, and he's trying to pull his hand out, and the monkey right next to him is saying, let it go. Because as long as he hangs on to that bait, he can't let it go. See, that's, that's what uh, unforgiveness is all about, when we, when we hang on to that. And there are times when we are we would be justified to feel offended. But just because we're justified doesn't mean we want the results of what holding offense is going to do to us. So we must learn to recognize the trap and learn not to take the bait. Now, let me give you just some practical, simple thoughts about uh, about how we take the bait without always realizing it. But it always ends up trapping us somehow. Don't take the bait to believe that what I think they meant is what they meant. To not take the bait of believing that I know what they intended. Because when you think you know what someone intended, but you're not absolutely certain, do you assume positive or negative? Negative almost every time. Right? I say to Terry... Terry, you, you got a haircut. Now, how many bet Terry is not going to think he likes my haircut? The assumption is going to be he doesn't like my haircut, right? But see, the solution, well, what, what's the solution in a situation like that? Really, quickly, what is the solution? Exactly. Help me, Mark, I didn't understand. What exactly did you mean by that? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I was in a hurry. What I mean by that is it fits the shape of your face beautifully and it brings the color of your eyes so that they sparkle. <laughs> Hallelujah. Didn't take the bait. Walked right on by. I'm free. She's blessed. Right? But the problem is we take the bait. We take the bait of assuming we understand what everybody else said and what they intended. And I got to tell you, being somebody who now for 45 years I've made my living talking, I find myself saying things that in my mind, they're exactly what I meant until they came out of my mouth. And nine times out of ten, I don't even know it, but my wife knows it. And one of her great services to me is she sits in meetings like this. And if she knows that I said something and it didn't come out to you the way she knows I feel or believe about it, she makes a little note. And then at lunch, after the meeting, she says, honey, and I know exactly what's coming. Now, the smart thing to do is learn to love that. 
Learn to embrace that. Don't just endure it. Learn to embrace it, right? Proverbs 12.1 says, He who loves discipline loves life, but he who hates correction is stupid. New American Standard, NIV, is stupid. And I'm tired of Linda having to tell me just how stupid I am. So I've decided to embrace because she is listening while I've got both feet in my mouth trying to talk at one time. But this is the areas that we can choose not to take the bait. Here's a way to not take the bait in a possible offensive time or place, situation. Don't use the words always or never. You always treat me that way. Really? Really? Always? I have never treated... How many know this is all downhill from here? This is not getting any better. You never show me any affection. I mean, there's nowhere to go. The, 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 only, the only way to go is you're lying. And then it's all over now. Now we really... Now, you know, now and now we got the pastor over and the police get called out. And, oh, my goodness gracious. But you see, what love wants to do is cause us to think more about how our words will have impact on the other person. Love is willing to take the hurt so that other people don't have to. So if we learn what the trap is, what the bait is, and we begin to make choices to avoid it, then we begin to learn how both to ask for forgiveness and how to give forgiveness. Getting it and giving it, that, that there's, a, there's an art to this. And it comes from Jesus when he said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. In other words, don't think just about what you're feeling right now, think about how your words are going to impact the other person. Now, let's talk about asking for forgiveness. You tell me if you've ever heard somebody say something like this. I'm sorry that you were offended. Right? I'm sorry that you misunderstood me. There's no way you can say that without sounding insincere. How many know that's not going to cause the other person wanting to say, oh, thank you, I forgive you. That's not where this conversation is headed. I'm sorry that you took it wrong. I'm sorry you got your feelings hurt. And by the way, I did that because you did that. And then finally, you know, you really shouldn't take things so personally. then don't take this punch in the nose so personally. Well, what could we say if we really do want to get forgiveness? How about this? Forgive me for not thinking how this was going to affect you. Now, see, those words are important because I'm not just automatically agreeing that I'm 100% wrong and you're 100% right. That's not the issue right now. We can talk about that later when the emotion is over. But obviously, I did not give much thought to how it was going to affect you or I would have chosen to do it a different way. Forgive me for not thinking about how this would affect you. Forgive me for what I did. What is it? Forgive me for what I said. What is it? The more specific we can get, the better. Forgive me for being so selfish. 
Whether we agree at that moment or not, I acted selfishly. Forgive me, please. And I love this one. This is my kids grew up hearing me say this. Help me understand what I can do differently the next time. You see what's going on here? Then we have to learn to give forgiveness. Come here, so Reed and I, we get we 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 get into it, which we're not going to because the boy could whoop my. Well, anyway, you understand what I'm saying. I'm just going to love him and support him and not challenge him. Yeah, I appreciate that. Believe me. So we've got to learn as brothers how to get forgiveness, how to ask for it, how to seek it, and then how to give it. So so Reed has said or done something to me that he now realizes was offensive, it was harmful, it was hurtful, it did bother me, he can tell that now. And he wants to get forgiveness. So he says to me, Mark, I'm sorry about that, I really am. I would like for you to forgive me. Will you forgive me? Now listen, this is you will see that this is this is a response that most people give without even thinking about it. It goes like this. Mark, please forgive me. Oh, it's okay. Are you there? Let me tell you something. I just belittled a sincere heart. I just shoved aside something divine that's going on here of him really wanting me to forgive him so there's nothing between us. It's not okay. If it bothered him that he thought it bothered me, whether it bothered me or not, it's not okay. So I shouldn't say that. What would be the right response? What was that? Oh, that's too hard. I forgive you. I do. Let you go. Now we're both free. Let me tell you some of the other things that we say that are very similar. It's no big deal. It didn't hurt me. Didn't bother me at all. See, all that comes out of insecurity and pride and selfishness. I'm only thinking about me. I'm not thinking about him. I'm not thinking about a young man who is humbling himself, coming to me and saying, I was wrong. I'd like to be forgiven. The only godly response can be, brother, I forgive you. I forgive you. Now, listen, we can talk later about how to handle this circumstance when it comes up again. But not right now. Right now, we're restoring a, cir a circle that's been broken. And we restore it by asking for forgiveness and extending it with no holes barred, with no strings attached. We choose to do that, right? Thank you, Reed. So, you know, Reed uh, says something to me, and then I walk away, and I'm thinking, I wonder what he meant by that. <laughs> Ask. Ask, ask. I'm not sure that I understood that. Would you help me understand that? That opens the door for communication. And before it's over, we may actually find out that there is no forgiveness needed. It was just poor communication. For several years while we were pastoring uh, with other pastors in a big church in Houston, we also built a business and Linda had office over to business and I had an office over there and then we had the church office. And so frequently, because I had a lot on my mind, I would come into our, our, our company business office. And as I walked in to get to my back office, I had to pass by everybody else's desk. And sometimes I would come in 
I'd be very, uh, I'd be in a hurry. I'd have a lot on my mind or need to make a call. And I would just kind of come in and walk to the office. 30 minutes later, somebody knock on my door, be one of the employees. And they say, can we take this minute of your time? I said, sure. I said, well, the rest of us were talking and we just wanted to know, what have we done wrong that you're so mad at us? So what are you talking about? Well, when you came in, it was obvious you were angry. Well, I wasn't angry. But the look on my face and my body language communicated something that I didn't feel, but it still communicated that to them. They assumed something. It's, so love pays attention to those kinds of things. And if you don't know, then act. And we can talk about measures of blame later, but, but get the healing there. Ask what people, look, this is what I heard. Is that what you meant? Because now we're giving people an opportunity to get clear. The third thing is this, that because the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is living inside of me, I can actually choose a righteous reaction. I don't have to give in to hurt feelings. The truth is, and I have to swallow this medicine myself and it's bitter going down. But the truth is, no one can offend me without my permission. Even if they don't like me, and believe me, look at my email and Facebook post. I got people that don't like me. My grandfather was a church planner for many years, planted 12 churches, used to love to say, you know, Mark, if somebody who really doesn't like you says or does something on purpose because they really do want to take a swipe at you. They, 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 they really don't like you. They really do. And so they say something to you or about you. And if you wait just a moment instead of reacting, if you'll just think back what they said, and you discover that there's just a little bit of truth in what they said, then you take that truth, change, and become a better person, won't they be mad? We can choose righteous reactions because the righteous one is living in us. Now, when we don't, what do we do? Get forgiveness. It's like everything else. Get forgiveness. But don't stay there our whole lives. We can mature. Love will grow us out of that so that love will cause us to hesitate and make a choice instead of just a fleshly carnal reaction. Take a look at these verses real quick. Oh, I'm sorry, slide seven. I'm sorry, slide, I think it's seven. Uh, we, if, now this, this is the way uh, grace works. If we choose a righteous response, grace in us will empower us to follow through on that choice. What we have to do is choose to respond in love. To respond in understanding, to respond in gentleness, to respond in meekness. We have to choose to do that. Now, we don't have the power in every situation to do it, but the one who has the power is living in us. So we have to choose. Jesus is not going to make me be patient. Oh, sometimes how I wish he would have. But he doesn't. 
But if I'll choose patience, one of the reasons patience in interaction is so important is because you may have already assumed the wrong thing. But if we have patience, then we can talk a little bit, get a little bit further, and then we can ask and trust the Holy Spirit to help us make a different choice and empower us to follow through. Look at these verses. There's two very interesting things in Proverbs. First one is this. He who covers his sins will not prosper. But look at the second one. He who covers over an offense promotes love. Peter quotes the same thing in the New Testament. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Wait a minute. I thought the one at the top said we're not supposed to cover sin. What's the difference? The one at the top is covering whose sin? Their own. They don't want anybody else to know they sin. If we do that before God, we cannot prosper. We have to own it. We have to take responsibility. But the other ones refer to a brother or a sister who loves you. And when you're wanting to get forgiveness, you're wanting to get help so you don't do that again. They cover you in love rather than demanding their pound of flesh. So Jesus says, bless those who hate you. Bless those who work against you. Bless those who despitefully Try to use you. Bless them. Why? Because it keeps my heart clean and soft. And the goodness of God brings people to repentance. If there's ever going to be a chance for this person to get out of their own prison because of the way they're choosing to act, it's going to be the goodness of God revealed in their life to empower them to make a different choice. So choose to not be easily offended And ask Christ in you to strengthen your ability to do that very thing. Choose to bless people, especially when they meant to hurt you. Say, well, now, wait a minute. Now, I can understand if somebody just accidentally. How many think the Roman soldiers accidentally nailed Jesus to that cross? No. And yet on the cross, what does he say about them? Father... Forgive them. Why? Because they don't understand what's going on here. They don't know what they're doing. Let me tell you, a good percentage of the time when people have hurt my feelings and I took it so personally, I found out later on they were completely unaware of what they had said. It just hit me that way. But love empowers us to make a different choice. Pray for goodness upon them. Here's one. Choose to assume I misunderstood. Just go ahead and choose to assume that you misunderstood. Then you can work it out. If you did misunderstand, then you've not sinned against them. If you did understand and they really don't like you, you know who to avoid. All right. Uh, Wrong expectations guarantee disappointment. Wrong expectations guarantee disappointment. I do not expect for people who are here in their Christian development to be able to always act like they're here. If for no other than a very selfish reason. 
If I expect somebody that's this old in the Lord to act like they're this old in the Lord, I am going to be upset at them on a regular basis. But if I just accept the fact that it's very difficult for them to react right now any other way than the way they do, and that ends up hurting me, as long as I don't raise that expectation until I see it growing in their lives, then when they do act the way they act and they hurt me, they don't hurt me because I didn't expect them to act any other way. Now, if you don't think this works, or it's valuable enough to give us some real thought, just remember Thanksgiving and Christmas dinners are coming up. You're going to be with relatives, right? You know, those people you love but you really don't like at all. But if you've learned by history that this person is not yet able to respond in any other way, then you've already forgiven them. You, you cover it. You're not pretending like it didn't exist, but you're choosing not. And by the way, I have, as a pastor, told people on several occasions after they came to me and said, man, I, I blew up at you. I took it all out on you. And I'm really sorry. Would you please forgive me? After we've gotten forgiven and gotten the circle healed back up, I've said to them, you know what? I'm really happy that you blew up at me. Because I love you. If you'd have done that to somebody at the grocery store, you'd have had a broken nose. But that's part of what the body of Christ is for. So that we can hold each other with love while we're growing. So we can hold each other while we're getting healed. We're not pretending. But we're patiently waiting for the grace of God to do its work in people's lives. In Hebrews 4, one of the most outstanding passages of Scripture for me is where it says, Therefore, then, we have a high priest who understands our weaknesses. How many are grateful for that? Well, if he's living in me, shouldn't I try to understand your weaknesses? If he understands mine and he's in me, then I ought to be praying that he help me understand you've got some too. So that I am not easily offended. Help me understand that you've got a big enough job working through that area of immature in your life. You don't need me to add to it by getting mad and letting you know I'm mad. Rather, you need me to love you, hold you. Proverbs also says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Last point. Quick one. But also important. Forgiveness does not mean continued fellowship. This is an area that I think several of us could really use some prayer from other brothers and sisters. Especially with the holidays coming up. And I'm very, very serious. Forgiveness does not mean continued fellowship. Forgiveness means you let them go. You don't want them to be punished. But that doesn't mean that it's healthy for you or them to continue in a close relationship. Back in St. Louis, when we do get there throughout the year, when we get invited to a party of some kind among believers, we always ask to find out what the guest list is. I'll tell you very sincerely, why? Because we know that we have friends 
who have friends who hate me. Either because of what I teach, what I believe. I don't want to go to that party and know that my presence is going to make it a rotten night for that person. I don't want to do that. I'm not staying away because I'm snooty. But I know they're they're just not able to react any differently. So it would not be smart. I've got relatives that I'll have Christmas dinner with and that's about it. I love them. But I know they don't have the capacity to react any other way. And to continue in close fellowship is not good for them and is not good for me either. Now, we'll pray for a day where that gets changed and we must be willing for that change. You understand what I'm saying? I don't know how to make it any more practical. How many feel like you could probably use prayer in this area of your life? I know I can. If you're a believer and what we've talked about today has really been bothering you and all of us fall in this category at one time or another, but especially in light of the fact that in the holidays we end up being around people that we're not normally around sometimes, and it is hard, it is difficult, but it doesn't have to be because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living inside of me. And if I will call on him, he can help me be unoffendable. And he can also help me to make some quiet, wise choices. Now, just one thing before I ask you to come up for prayer. If you, after praying, feel, and that's all you can do is just feel, that the Lord is wanting you to put a little distance for a while between you and somebody else who's a constant agitator, don't tell them that. Father, you are forever faithful. Lord, just saying that word, I I can't even comprehend yet what that would mean. But, oh God, in my little teeny life, you have proven yourself faithful. And you faithfully want to grow within us the immune system that divine love gives us to make us immune to so easily being offended. To make us immune to choose selfishly rather than covering others with our love so they have time to grow up in you. And Father, help us if there's someone in our lives that we need to put a little distance between for a while. Give us the wisdom to make that choice and to trust you that you are at work. Help us this week, Father, to be quick forgivers and not easily offended in Jesus' name. There is something uniquely divine about God saying Old and New Testament when one believer physically puts their hand on another believer. King James, the laying on of hands. When one believer touches another, There is something supernatural about that. I don't understand it, but it's all over the Bible. And that's what these people are here to do. They may not understand everything. They're not here to counsel, but they're here to pray with you. That you might get wisdom and freedom in Jesus' name. Have an amazing week. Join us on this new covenant journey at markdrake.org.